Hi, I'm Anne. And she's Rach. And this is So You Think You Want to Be a Lawyer, a podcast where we'll be sharing our own legal journeys, top tips on how to qualify as a solicitor, and what you do to stay sane and healthy when you get there. Hi, welcome to another episode. This week we are talking about maternity leave and other types of leave. We um, have both had different experiences in terms of our time off from work, whether that was for babies or sabbaticals or looking at flexible working. And obviously there are lots of other types of leave from work. Um, a shared parental leave now and adoption leave and COVID has happened and sometimes you have time off between jobs so we're just going to talk about our experiences exactly that. apparently Anne has got questions for me exactly well I've in theory planned this but you know this is me so I'll ask one question and then go completely off piste um which is fine that's normal because we just wanted to talk about it so I thought I'd just start with the basics actually why don't you just tell us a little bit about your own journey becoming a mother for the first time and you can include whatever you want to include in that uh so so I currently have, and I'm probably going to stop at three children. And probably. <laughs> almost <laughs> certainly. <laughs> that is my threshold for stress, everyone. Um, I had my first baby when I was in the city and then I was off for a full year. I actually took two months off before having Jemima. Um, I felt like it was a really good thing to do for me. Um, the commute was quite hard and I think those final months could be really stressful on your body. So it was lovely to have that time. I took it as holiday, I think, and then started my maternity leave a month before she was born. Um, and then I went back to work afterwards as a partner, my new role, and then had got pregnant with Charlie and had him. And then I did actually leave the city after having Charlie um and then I've since had Eddie and stayed working throughout that in the sort of consultancy role I guess you could summarize that as somebody who's had it all done it all smashed it all in terms <laughs> of um, you know sort of making it to partner whilst having three kids and then continuing and expanding your career outside of that and that's a nice sound bite I guess and that's the kind of stuff that would be in the newspaper if you were interviewed in a newspaper or in some law magazine but I guess the reality of that is that you say that, but when you talk about having a partnership interview four weeks after, and I remember that, and a lot of me was like, this woman is crazy and I could never, <laughs> but please God, let her get it because she deserves it. Um, and it's so amazing and will be so good at it. How did you feel in that moment? Maybe let's take it back in stages. So maybe just the decision that you made to sort of put yourself first by going on maternity leave, quote unquote, earlier than most people would. And sort of what was the thinking there? Um, actually, you know, Jenny, um, it was Jenny, my um, really chilled surfer friend from university who is just so chill. She's got four kids now. Um, and she took two months off before doing her leave. So it was in my mind that that's what she'd done. In my mind, it made me feel like my child would be more chilled coming into the world if I was more chilled in the months before and there are stories of people working up to two months two weeks before they give birth 
leave before their due date sorry and then leaving work and the release of pressure suddenly makes you basically have the baby that weekend <laughs> and you don't get any time just to you know go and do the fluffing and getting ready and um you know i don't know buy your, buy your pram or whatever wash all the baby clothes so um i think having two months off for me was really good and i did that for both jemima and charlie while i was in the city yeah and you mentioned that also as well, like, obviously, that's a great reason to do it. But there are also, I guess, some practical things you were thinking about the fact that commuting was getting a bit harder. I remember you telling me a couple of times about people just looking at your belly, looking at your face and putting up a newspaper and just being like, I can't see you slash I really don't care. You're going to stand because I want to sit. Yeah, it can be hard. You know, you don't you expect everyone to know that you're pregnant and you might be one of those people that's fortunate enough to not really look that pregnant or, you know, people don't want to be embarrassed by thinking you're pregnant and then you not being. <laughs> you know and even though it's really blindingly obvious sometimes yeah so you know sometimes getting a cab in but then it's expensive or cab home it's expensive um obviously now arrangements are slightly different with covid and maybe post-covid world will be slightly different but again it's it's coming back to our second episode about stress levels and for me I knew I needed to take that time I did I mean I don't want to paint a really rosy picture because I did have um three miscarriages before Jemima in the year before I had her and so it was important to me to uh when I got to that late stage, just to chill and give myself space to like make sure it went okay. I think working in a stressful environment for me um, might have made it a bit more difficult to have a baby potentially. Maybe, maybe. And I guess, well, we won't ever know because we're not. We won't ever know, but now I've got Jemima, so it's okay. <laughs> got all the little ones um, and it did all work out in the end. But yeah. it was tough going, I guess, for a while. Yeah. Um, and I guess, um, so then moving further into your now on maternity, what was maternity like once Jemima was actually there, your first time parents? How was it? It's bonkers. I mean, it's just, you'd think that going from like working in a high pressure environment, you'd be able to just like breeze it, but you become obsessed with this little person, especially number one, and doing everything right and monitoring their every breath and move, or at least I did. So it just became this whole job that was almost bigger than a work job. Like I had no idea, you know, what to do, how to do it. I was up all night feeding and doing my thing and loving every minute. Obviously, I was so happy. I think I cried for the first week that she was just actually here. I remember sobbing that she was here finally. Um, so uh, she just became my obsession for that year. And it gets easier and you start to be able to do other things. It's funny because uh, you sort of, that pressure to do everything perfectly or the focus of attention slightly goes when you've got more than one and definitely when you've got more than two. <laughs> Actually, that is one of my questions. Like when you have another child, is it doubling or is it just like, oh, we've just got another one. It's just a little bit extra work. I think going from one to two for us was more like doubling it and a bit because mm-hmm. you go from this like precious environment where you can just respond to every whim of the child to then being like man marking and being like shocked that another human being can be different to the first one and have its own personality and differences which are amazing but then you've got to like put all that together so with Jemima she was this angel that just went to nursery at 10 months and loved it and went every day and was very happy and I just merrily went to my job I'm not saying it was easy because even when they're there from 7 30 in the morning till 6 that means you've pinched you've got to work at like quarter past nine and have to leave by half four to get you know guarantee get back it's very stressful but when Charlie came along um he cried 
every single time I left him at nursery, it was brutal. And we ended up going to hospital with him like four, five, six times with croup and viral wheeze every six weeks. Like he was not easy at nursery. He just caught bugs and it was horrendous. So that's why we eventually pulled him. from nursery. I wanted to talk about like when you were coming back to work and just looking at the um, part in in the first pregnancy with Jemima and now you've got this partnership track. Wait, let me remind myself. It was four weeks after you'd given birth. So actually... I'd been, I'd got it. I was, I'd got it while on maternity leave. So I was coming back to a partnership role having left as a senior associate. That's right. That means then that um, in the last stages of your pregnancy, they're talking to you about, you know, we'd like to put you up for partnership, but obviously you're pregnant and shall we do it now so how did those conversations go and what made you determine to do it then rather than say as maybe many people have done let's wait a year um in the firm I worked in in Atrowers in the city they have an extraordinarily superior female team in my view there there are senior women at every single rung at all levels and they are all amazing and one of the senior women in my department at the time who's now senior equity partner it didn't phase her you know the usual course of having children and she had her own children and she just I popped into her office one day and she said Rach um, do you want to do it or not if you do then I'll put you forward and I had literally like two minutes of literally standing in her office to say yes or no and I was obviously you know, six months pregnant or so at that time. And I just felt like if you don't take these opportunities, uh, you might not get them again. I don't know. I felt confident that I would be given allowances if necessary and that we would work out what to do as the path continued. And I've always been, you know, a strong believer that you're, you shouldn't be treated differently because of anything that you are or what you're doing or how you appear. And they were a true example of treating people equally. It is hard. It was hard to do it all and to do the research and the prep and the documents and the, and the business paper and all of that. But again I was supported in the usual way I mean I remember that time and I remember you you obviously prepping and stuff and you worked so hard for it and of course there's sort of um support in terms of being able to leave baby Jemima I can't remember was this one where you had John sort of round the corner or something or yes so my husband came in he was in the canteen with mini cheeks and I did feed her I had to unzip my dress at the back go into the toilet and feed her, which felt like such a contrast to then being completely polished and going in to do my spiel that I needed to do. Um, and But then, you know, it's a distraction. At least I wasn't like stressing over the interview as much as I might have done otherwise. That's probably fair, isn't it? It's like, I've got this little one to keep alive and keep safe and well and understand how I'm doing it. So an interview is very, very important, but I'm ready for it. I can do this because actually this other life is so much more. I was sweating, for example. Like I had these like hot flush sweats going on, which was really (laughs) embarrassing. And I did actually break the seam of the dress that I was wearing inside the jacket. Obviously no one could see it. Um, (laughs) But I did actually break it on sitting down in the interview, which I haven't told anyone before. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, and then obviously I got out of there and needed to eat and have a coffee and like pass out. And I did that. But, you know, it's exciting to push yourself into new territories. Well, absolutely. And I do think, I mean, you are definitely one person. Like, if any of my friends was going to do all of those things all at the same time, it's you. (laughs) Because, like, I often have an idea or a suggestion. But if I mention it to you, and maybe I know it subconsciously, as soon as I mention it to you, we're doing it. It doesn't matter anymore. Or, like, podcasting. (laughs) 
like the podcast, like I will mull it over forever. You know, not that I'm some stereotypical, slightly cautious lawyer or anything like that. But as soon as I mention it to you, it's like, forget about it. We're doing it now. We're already across the world doing something. (laughs) 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 So if anyone was going to get it done, it was absolutely you, that's for sure. Um, And then just moving on a little bit, and then maybe we can sort of branch out a bit to some of the other topics you mentioned. Being back in work, um, you've now got two kids, I guess, you're a partner. Did any of that impact, do you think, your decision to then go in-house? Or do you think it was just actually the opportunity was so great that you wanted to move? Um, partly, yes. Yeah. So for me, the challenge of needing to be um, you know, in that role was too much. There was a third tipping point after I had Charlie. My mum was diagnosed with cancer. So I had that um, focus. I was going down to all her appointments. And then I also had the two small ones. And it was my threshold of stress. So, you know, I was dealing with really big projects, supervising three teams on one at the end. Then an opportunity did come across my path to work for Billy Reed. And it was one of those moments again, you know, I was offered something and I didn't want to turn it down. It was an opportunity to work remotely under my own terms. And it gave me you know, I wouldn't say that trials didn't give me the space or the ability to do what I needed to do. It's just the nature of the job is too hard to do. Like it doesn't, you know, they didn't mind if I left my desk at four or took the day to go and do whatever I needed to do with my mom. They were completely flexible. But the reality was that the client needs were such that I had to get X, Y, Z done. And it had to be done within, you know, that week or within a few days. And the pressure for me was just too great. Even, you know, I you can give yourself three days off, but then you're crushing on the two days that you're yeah. having to work. It becomes, I guess, a sort of turning point, as you said, of is this sustainable and is this the life that I want to lead yeah when you know there's so much more to life than work and I don't mean to say that I'm not saying that casually because I know that for a lot of people you have to find the work that funds the rest of your life so that's not easy but there is so much especially more to when life. you've got used to it especially when you've got used to it <laughs> so you have to find ways to fund a lifestyle and I know that and it's not easy and I guess that's as good a place as any to sort of pivot into flexible working and any other um sabbatical and other sort of time off that we may have had touching on flexible working obviously we've all had experience of that well I guess it depends on your definition now what I was going to say is we've all had experience of that in this last year for the most part people who work in jobs like ours have probably been in the house at a computer um, for most of this last year because of COVID and in some ways for me personally what I've seen in that with sort of flexible working to be fair I've in in the previous job I had and in the job I have now I was always lucky enough, as as you mentioned, that they didn't really care where you were or when you did the work as long as you did yeah. the work. It was fine to be at home um, if you needed to go and get your car done or you had an appointment or whatever. But obviously now with COVID, we've all been in the house rather than sort of by choice, by sort of force for the last year. And me personally, actually that's added quite a lot to my life because you, you're at 150 miles an hour mm. normally in London, in the city, um, as you're going up the career ladder, um, you know, first you've got your commutes. I live an hour away, so I'm up and down doing that. And then usually you've got meetings all day or you're doing your work all day. And even if you finish at a reasonable time and reasonable is subjective, but let's say that's 6.30, then just in a London sort of way, you get used to running around. I'm going to go for dinner with this person and then maybe I'll go to the theatre or the cinema or 
some football game or whatever those things are and your life is just go 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 and then obviously partners and family and all of those other things will interact and being in the house for the last year has just given me so much time back one because I love I, well, I hate mornings and I love sleep so <laughs> I get to set my alarm at what I think is a reasonable time other people are aghast that you really jump out of bed 20 minutes before you need to log on yes because that works for me um <laughs> And it's the same at the other end. I'm not under so much pressure to dash out of the door because I know I've got an hour to get home. That leads to hopefully a more civilized way of working. It gives me time at the end of the day when gyms are open, when they were open to go to the gym and to do other things, um, even in lockdown. And that's just given me so much extra time that I don't normally have when you're up and down commuting and running around London. And I don't know. there's a sort of flip side to it in that is there no separation now but like what I find hard with the kids is that I can be sitting upstairs doing my work until six whatever and then I have to go back downstairs and I'm immediately yes back in it so when I am commuting I get that hour or so to read a book or read some trash or listen to something so it's going to be really hard I think then maybe they'll need to be that balance about the magical balance like a few days in the office for people working full-time and a few days from home so you can get back some of those hours but also have some separation between mental space, work and home. And I think that's the thing that we're learning, right? It's actually really personal to everybody because I was like, this is great. I'm loving it. I've got so much more time. And when the gyms are open, I was like, perfect. I I'm actually might hit some of my goals because, you know, sometimes you enjoy eating food more than you want to run around on the bike or whatever yeah. it is you're doing. Then actually colleagues, especially with kids, but it's not just people with kids, people are carers or they have some other pools on their time and on their energy at home, which means that they're not able to get their jobs done without cutting up their day in ways that I personally, I know I would find really difficult to cope with. That's, you know, people getting up at seven and smashing in from seven till nine, they'll do a couple of calls and meetings and whatever they're doing. Yeah. Then they pop all of that and go and drop the kids at nursery or go and take care of their elderly parent who they're now living with because of COVID or whatever that thing is. Yeah. Then maybe they pop back up around lunchtime or at three o'clock, then they have to do the school run and all those things that I don't personally have to think about it makes a difference and it it does impact so I think you're right that the key here is that it's sort of and it's going to be difficult but that balance kind of has to be one that works for the business but also very personal and I think companies are going to have to do thinking about how they're willing to let people work to allow that to go forward I think it needs to be a little bit more individual focused whilst recognizing that you can't have everybody out doing individual plans because that won't work for the team yeah and I think as a trainee or a newly qualified, you get so much benefit from being around other lawyers. And so that's one aspect of it as well. I didn't actually ask you, Anne, if you thought there was any impact on your career by not having kids yet. Personally, I don't think it's harmed anything um, from what I can see, but I can see how it might. And I've seen other people that I know sort of be impacted negatively yeah. because people are like, oh, is she about to have another one or, you know, she's just had one, she's probably going to have another one, or she's right at the age where she's like to have kids, she just got married. All of these things definitely, people don't say it because nobody's silly, especially in law, you know what the right discrimination laws and things, and you know how to toe the line in terms of what you're saying. But I have seen it impact regardless of what people are saying. I've seen it impact other people. It's tricky though, because I think 
it does often seem to be sort of on the mother's career. And we say that, I guess, because oftentimes it's the mother who has the child. But when you think about sort of same-sex relationships or adoptions, where there isn't that sort of pregnancy element to it, which sort of automatically puts one person in a different position, then I guess it is important that we sort of broaden our thinking because of that. And maybe don't just assume that it will always be the mother and therefore women of a certain age don't hire them until they've finished having their, or whatever that thought process might be. Because actually, and increasingly, I think dad's want and partners whoever that is whoever the second parent is want that time with the kids as well so it's not just the mother will be off for nine months it's you know dad wants or partner wants two months three months six months and yeah. the maternity leave and actually sometimes it's just a balance in terms of career when you've got you know somebody I will say mother just for ease but when the mother has the child but maybe she's the um overwhelming breadwinner in terms of just in terms of salary then maybe it makes sense for the dad to be the one to take the lead my um our neighbors in uh action had um had a baby at the same time of us as us and the dad was off for three months i think and we actually went house hunting together for our new house and he came with me with his little one and i had jemima and you should have seen like the the estate agents trying to work out what this dynamic was because he was a guy with a newborn and a lady with a newborn who evidently were the parents of their newborns but not seemingly together and they weren't twins so why were they house viewing together and it was just an activity to do together one you know no one would have thought twice if it was another woman with her child at the same age um but it's yeah it was that was quite fun we did actually end up moving uh, really close to each other in the end so that worked out quite well when the kids oh, well, exactly exactly it's funny how that stuff goes, isn't it? And people don't realize how much unconscious sort of thinking they're doing. And that's what I would mean about like whether or not it's affected my career or anyone else's. There's a lot of stuff that's going on before you even open your mouth yeah. and people are already making decisions. Um, what about um, time off, sabbaticals and holidays? I mean, just kicking it off a little bit, one thing that I wish and I would advise anybody who's got the opportunity, if you get some opportunity between jobs, take it, enjoy the holiday and plan maybe a third of your bucket list or whatever that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> run to different jobs all the time if you can afford it I'm conscious not everyone can but if you can afford it take the time because free time is amazing and I guess to that there's other ways of doing that as well I mean you could tell us about your sabbatical that you had right every few years I have this sort of inner feeling of needing to help somebody in some project or other way it's just something that's inside me and when I was at university I managed to secure an internship with the United Nations in New York which was incredible so in the six weeks out from university in between year one and two I was in New York um, with the Security Council one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life and as part of that I was supporting the people writing the resolution to try members of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, who, if you don't know, killed lots of people, millions, in the period between 75 and 79. And um, my sister got married to a Hong Kong Chinese guy, fast forward about, you know, 10 years, 15 years. And we all went out to Hong Kong. And I thought, I have to go to Cambodia while I'm in Hong Kong just to see the place. And I um, went for a weekend 
and we had a lovely time very five star but dipped in and out and saw it all and it was lovely and then on the plane back there was this little Cambodia daily like news slip and in in it was advertised for leadership residents for an organization called the Harpswell Foundation and it is an organization that houses and trains young women who are incredibly bright at university age and it helps them get to university study at university and then gives them sort of leadership training and English skills and CV writing and um, puts them up in Phnom Penh in the capital and um, does all this amazing stuff to support women and very bright girls do what they do best. So they were sort of head of their class in mathematics and physics and um, everything in between, you know. Uh, so I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I have to do. I have to go there for three months. <laughs> came back to work and I was like, this thing was gnawing at me. And so I had to look up the sabbatical policy um, at work and work out whether I could do it or not. And they accepted me and I did my form for work and I asked for the formal sabbatical and they let me have it. I think you had to be working for five years in order to qualify for a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I went out to Cambodia and I did it and I, it was an incredible experience. I loved every second of it. Proper rough, like living conditions. I like hot showers and I had to pour a bucket of cold water over myself as my shower every day. And it killed me almost like I was, it was hard, but it wow. was an amazing experience. Yeah. So um, if there's something that you know, you're know you passionate about, um, I managed to do that alongside a very rewarding, you know, legal career. And I think it helped me in lots of ways as well. And, you know, I set up a microfinance loan, which was effectively helping fund a girl to be able to buy her motorbike to be able to go to her job, because otherwise she was going to have to live with the unskilled workers in horrendous accommodation. And this meant that she could go to and from her accommodations. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I suppose you could uh, go on and lay on a beach. Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't get to call it a sabbatical if it's just lying on the beach. But I think there's not, also nothing wrong with lying on the beach. Like, that would probably be my... <laughs> well, maybe not the beach part, but equally, I'm going to be very honest. I'm unlikely to go and, like, cold showers is not where I want to be. I don't want to be somewhere in the rough. Um, <laughs> just before we uh, wrap up anything else, so I do think it's important to communicate that it is incredibly difficult doing two things at the same time and when they are both important basically one of them will always be giving to the other and there is no perfect situation um I feel like right now I'm in a really good place, but it is incredibly difficult to be the mum that you want to potentially be or the parent you want to potentially be if you are also working in a very demanding full-time role and you will not be able to get it right very easily, I don't think. Uh, I think you can have obviously all the support network around you and the children will be fine and the work will be fine and it will get done and the children will grow and everything will be okay. But um, you won't necessarily get the most amazing sense of accomplishment if you're used to ticking everything off and everything being 100% perfect. 
you know, there are times when the kids are really sick. And uh, even this week, Charlie was sick and it meant I was holding him upright all night. And then you're a bit wrecked the next day or the week before where I worked really hard on two, three days and then had to see my mum for a whole day. So I was effectively gone from the kids for four days in a row without seeing them in the morning or at bedtime. And they really feel it and they cling to you. So I think you just have this constant um, push and pull. Push and pull. And you just manage it as best you can. Yeah. And try not to beat yourself up because as you said, something always has to give, but hopefully most of the time you get that balance right. And in the end, and use the dads or your partner for goodness sakes. Like I have made sure from the beginning, if this is my top tip on having kids and babies and working, make sure your other partner is as, you know, as good as you at doing everything. And I don't mean that they have to do it the same way. They can do it their own way. John holds our children in a way that makes me like shudder sometimes, but I've got used to the fact that he's a little bit rough with them manhandles them and they all seem to love it so you have to let that go he makes incredible food for them i'll be doing like beans on toast with cheese and something and they'll still complain about that by the way um but he will make them he made them pulled pork and rice with barbecue sauce from scratch the other day um so you know there are strengths in getting somebody else to be as good you know he will settle our baby now without me and that's amazing you know it just takes that pressure off use the people don't be the one that has to like you know that, that talks about your partner being rubbish and can't do it because they can absolutely and and also like sort of don't inadvertently martyr yourself because um yeah. yeah it's a partnership everybody should like there should not be this thing of i know that babies and children often do you know run to mummy or whatever but that's just because of the nature of you know if you breastfed or whatever that is but there's no other reason for it and there's no reason why dad can't also put or the partner the second person can't also put the baby to sleep. I guess my question is, um, just in terms of top tips for being able to, as we were just talking about balance, what other sort of little things, you mentioned in episode two, that thing about your um, shoes and when you put them on, now you're ready to go for work. Any other thing like that, which just allows you to do that mental shift that you need and then the shift back to mum? I focus in a very concentrated way when I'm working. And then when I'm with the kids, I try to do the same. Um, Obviously it's, I'm sort of floating on my emails, looking at them when I have the kids on the days I'm not working. I suppose best practice would be to check it periodically and leave the phone at home. Um, Like check it at lunchtime in the morning and in the afternoon so you're not sort of doing stuff all the time. I don't wear my smart things when I'm with the children. Yeah. Um, So you can just sort of mentally shift, because I guess going back to sort of calling back to when we were talking about COVID and that blurred line now, there's just little things that allow you to sort of go... in terms of COVID and blurred lines, in terms of work and kids, the other thing you have to do, and maybe outside, is you have to try and carve a smidgen of time for yourself. Because yeah. if I am not doing something, if I, I, you have to have some time for yourself that isn't kids and working. And it does make you a better person and better at all of your things you've got to do so I will go and have a bath and like lock the door um or I will go for a run occasionally not very often um or I might go for a walk with a friend uh what else might I do read something or at least a little bit of something. yeah I've started reading a book um you know I paint my nails that's what I do I always paint my nails 
Um, and that doing that just makes you feel better. It's something for you. And I have a glass of wine in the evening when the kids have gone to bed and all of that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, do something for you as well. And I think it will help you with that shift, whether you're doing work to kids and also mental health generally wise, uh, you know, managing it all. Perfect. Cool. So I guess what we just did was just a little bit of a sort of talk around our own experiences, obviously talking about what it's like to be a working mom and also what it's like to not be a working mom. But obviously these are our own personal experiences and we're conscious that not everyone has the same lifestyle and same things going on in their lives as well. But yeah, we just wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like, what maternity and uh, continuing to strive in your career might look like for you based on our own experiences. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. We always have a great time on the podcast and appreciate everyone who comes back and listens every week. Feel free to like, subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, then feel free to get in touch with us at so you think you want to be a lawyer at gmail.com or any other of our social media and contacts, which we will leave in the show notes. Hopefully we'll get around to answering some of your questions on future episodes of the podcast. And in the meantime, please keep coming back. Thanks.